turn in your Bibles to Revelation chapter 2. We are in week 3 of our series of sermons uh, that Jesus wrote to the seven churches in Asia Minor, the seven churches of Revelation. And these are, these are different churches, these are different letters, I should say, that John received from Jesus while he was exiled on the island of Patmos toward the end of his life. And then uh, each and every one of these letters were written to very specific congregations that were dealing with different pressures and different struggles. They were dealing with different discipleship issues as they were learning to live out their faith in a very pagan culture. And Jesus had some very specific words for each of these churches. And we're going to look at all seven of them. Today we look at uh, the second church, and we'll talk about who they are in just a moment, but we're going to look at all seven of them over the next couple of months, and hopefully it will be a word for us as well, because as Jesus is speaking to these churches, he is speaking to us here at Crossroads in Ontario, Ohio as well today. And so if you remember last week, we talked through uh, the church of Ephesus and the letter that Jesus had sent to that church who had been doing all of these really good works. They had done all of these spiritual things. They had many spiritual successes, but they had one thing against them, and that was that they had walked away. They had abandoned their first love. They had done so many spiritual things, and they had so many accomplishes, but they were doing it from the wrong uh, starting point. They had lost their first love and Jesus had called them to repl- repent. And if they did not repent, he, re- he, he threatened to remove their lampstand from its place. Now, I think it's ironic that all of these years later, if you were to try to go to the city of Ephesus, what you would find there is you would not find a city. You would not find a church. You would not find um, a, a remnant of Christians there. Because I believe they did not repent necessarily. You would only find ruins of a city there because that city did not go back to its first love. And I think it's possible that Jesus did exactly what he said he would do. He would remove their lampstand from among them if they didn't turn back to their first love. And conversely, this morning, we're going to look at a city that did the exact opposite thing that Ephesus did. We're going to look at another city in Asia Minor that's about 35 to 40 miles north of Ephesus. It's the city of Smyrna. And this is a city that is still thriving to this day, unlike Ephesus. Now, in the modern coastal city of Izmir, Turkey, is where you will find the, um, I, I guess you would find the remnants of an ancient city of Smyrna. And obviously, I've never been there, but I've uh, man, I've done all kinds of studies and researches and, and I've just done all kinds of uh, preparation for this sermon this week. And, and ancient Smyrna was a beautiful city and it was considered one of the crown jewel cities of the entire Roman Empire. Outside of the city of Rome itself, it was one of the most extravagant and beautiful cities that Rome had to brag about. So with a population of about 100,000 people and a fierce devotion to Roman politics and to Caesar or emperor worship, this city was a city that Rome could be proud of and it was a celebrated city and it was a very prosperous city. But life was not easy for everyone in the city of Smyrna. See, a major part of the worship um, a major part, I should say, of the culture of the city was pagan worship. And so there, Romans obviously served and worshipped and prayed to many different gods, and it made it difficult for Christians to worship Jesus as Lord alone. 
Ed and Ruthie, you have no idea how, uh, I guess, true the words that you sang this morning were. As you were singing about Jesus as Lord of our lives alone, that, uh, the whole time I'm just smiling because I'm thinking, I don't realize, I don't think they realize how pertinent that was, what they're singing to the sermon this morning and what we're going to be talking about. But there were a, there were a, a small congregation of people in the city of Smyrna that wanted to worship Jesus and Jesus alone. And because they did that, life became very difficult for them. Survival became very difficult. And I want to look at Revelation chapter two. We're going to read verses eight through 11 this morning. And this is going to be the letter to the church of Smyrna. And then we're going to break it down this morning a little bit further after we read these verses. Verse eight of Revelation chapter two says this, and to the angel of the church in Smyrna, write this. Now, angel, I don't, I don't remember if Josh talked about this last week or not, but angel is probably better translated messenger or pastor. This is a word to the pastor of this church in Smyrna. This is what Jesus wanted to say to them. The words of the first and the last who died and came to life. I know your tribulation. I know your poverty, but you are rich. And the slander of those who say that they are Jews and are not, but a synagogue of Satan. Do not fear what you are about to suffer. Behold, the devil is about to throw some of you into prison, that you may be tested, and for ten days you will have tribulation. But be faithful unto death, and I will give you the crown of life. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. The one who conquers will not be hurt by the second death. So understand this, as we look into this church, we're going to kind of break it down. We're going to look at a little bit of historical context this morning of who this church was, what this city was. Understand this, that there were very, very few, if, if any at all, casual Christians in this church. You see, because of the difficulty, because of the trials and the tribulations, and because of how difficult life was, it purged out the casual fans of Jesus and retained only devoted disciples. So the onslaught of persecution in Smyrna against the Christians actually purified this church. And when everyone else was cursing these Christians in this area, in this city, Jesus was commending them. And I love that word uh, commend, that commendation that they received because Smyrna was one of two churches that of the seven that received no condemnation, only commendation. Okay, so it's, it's Smyrna and Philadelphia are the only two churches that Jesus had no rebuke for. He only wanted to encourage them and bless them and to, to, to commend them for the way that they were living out their faith. And so there's a word of commendation coming to them from Jesus when the, the rest of society, the rest of culture in that city was cursing them. Now just imagine being a member of this small church and receiving a letter from Jesus. Like, could you imagine Pastor Dave showing up here this morning saying, Crossroads, guess what? I received a letter in the mail this week, and it's from Jesus himself. He decided to write a letter directly and specifically for us. And I'm here to read this to you today. Can you imagine if Pastor Dave or myself read a letter to you directly from Jesus? And this is what the letter would say. This letter is from him who holds the seven stars in his right hand to Crossroads Church in Ontario. This is what I want to say to you. Just imagine 
how that would feel. That would get your attention pretty quick, right? Like you might already start to, you know, you, you might be tempted to start dozing off already in the sermon, but I promise you if I said, hey, I've got a letter from Jesus, you would either think I'm a heretic or you would really perk up and be like, oh, what does Jesus have to say? This is what happened in the city of Smyrna with the Christians. Christ starts his letter that he addresses to this specific group of people and he says this, I know your tribulation. In a time of trouble, the church in Smyrna needed a reminder that they were not alone. Jesus said, I know what you're going through. I know what you're struggling with. I know your tribulation. You know, I think that there are a lot of us at different times and different seasons in our lives where we feel like we can't see God. We can't hear God. We don't sense him. We don't feel him. It feels like God is distant, distant or that he's disinterested completely in our lives but he has promised us us in his word that he will never leave us. He will never forsake us. In fact, his word says that he is a friend that sticks closer than a brother. And he is reminding the, the people in Smyrna, the Christians in Smyrna, he's saying, I know your tribulation. In fact, in verse nine, it starts out with, I know. He says, I'm with you every step of the way. That Greek word for I know comes from the word oida. And it means to understand through personal experience or observation. Jesus is telling them, I've been through this. I've gone through what you're going through. I'm right there every step of the way. I have not left you. I have not abandoned you. Even if you can't feel me or hear me or see me, or maybe even at moments sense me, I have not left you to go through this alone. I am intimately involved in your life. And through this letter, he offers them a word of comfort. Because I know, because I've been there, because I'm right beside you, I am right with you. This is what he says. Do not fear. He says, don't fear. Whatever you've endured, whatever is coming, whatever you've been through, whatever is to come, don't be afraid because I know. Jesus gives them the comfort of his presence. And this became a remarkable church. Smyrna was a remarkable church, like I said, that was only commended by Christ for many reasons that we're going to discover here in just a few moments. And and my question is, before we get into really diving deep into who this group of people was and what the city was like, my question is, how do we as a church here at Crossroads in 2023, how do we either remain a remarkable church or become a remarkable church? And I believe that there are many faithful Bible teaching churches that love Jesus and want to stand firm in a culture of compromise in this area. I mean, we're all tempted with compromise to be able to walk in step with society and with culture, but there are many churches in this area that have determined we will follow Jesus even if it costs us. Even if we lose our influence, even if we lose favor with the people, we will follow Jesus and we will preach what God's word has to say. And I believe Crossroads in many ways leads the way in this region. And so I believe in many ways we are a remarkable church. So how do we remain that way? Well, we we remain that way by looking to churches that have gone before us. Churches like the one that we're going to look at here in Smyrna. So what can we learn from this church in our text this morning? Well, we've already learned that they were commended by Christ. But we also learn, and if you've got your notes, this is where you can start writing in, filling in some blanks. We also learn that they are a church compared to Christ. Now, I want to offer you three comparisons here in just a moment, but for those of you who kind of geek out on history, 
you kind of geek out on background information. Maybe you love and, and you get all nerdy about context and you love like little insights and, and cultural things that maybe you have to really study beyond even Revelation chapter 2 to, to understand and to grasp. I think you're going to be uh, in for a treat this morning. This morning is going to feel as much like a history lesson as it is a sermon, okay? And this is not typical for me, but I feel like there's so much context. There's so much background information that you don't even get just from reading Revelation 2 on the surface that I want to excavate some of this and hopefully understand what we can learn and what God is showing us today. And so I want you to know that the, 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 the people of the city of Smyrna, they took a lot of pride. They had a lot of civic pride in their city. And they knew that they knew the history of their town. The Christians included knew its history. They knew that their hometown was a city that had been devastated over and over and over throughout civilization through earthquakes and through famines and through fires and through enemy onslaught, all of these things. Smyrna was a city that has a long history back into the early parts of civilization, and it had been destroyed multiple times, but one time in particular, it was literally on the brink of death. It almost didn't survive. In fact, in many ways, it had died in 600 B.C., Smyrna was conquered and devastated by uh, an enemy Lydian king, leaving it kind of a former, like a shell of its former self, kind of a shadow of what it once was. It was completely devastated. It was brought down to almost nothing, and it was left to be just a small, tiny village. It was just a shadow of the greatness that it once was as a city. Well, years later, when Alexander the Great was in power, he he went through the entire world conquering the known world at that time. He went through the city of Smyrna that was now just a shell of itself because it had kind of died this death as a city. And he realized how beautiful that area was. And he decided that he wanted to rebuild the city of Smyrna. And so he rebuilt it into one of the most beautiful cities of its day. In fact, Smyrna was known all of those years ago before the days of Christ. It was known to have paved streets It had a library. It had the largest agora or the largest marketplace in the history of civilization. It had a gymnasium. It even had a tribute temple to Caesar Tiberius, who was the Caesar when Jesus was crucified. It had all of these things that it had to brag about. But it was once dead and then brought back to life. So that leads us to our first comparison where Jesus starts to compare himself to the city of Smyrna or Smyrna to him. He says to the angel of the city of Smyrna, write this, the words of the first and the last who, who died and came back to life. Jesus is saying, I, I can identify with you. Your city was once dead and is alive again. I too was once dead, but I am alive again. The death could not hold me. The grave could not keep me. I came back to life. In fact, Hebrews chapter 7 says this about Jesus, our great high priest. It says this in verse 16 of chapter 7. Jesus, who has become a priest, not only on the basis of a legal requirement concerning bodily descent, but by the power of an indestructible life. Think about that's the Jesus that we serve. That's the Jesus that is addressing the the, the Christians in Smyrna. It's the Jesus, the God who, who was raised to life because he had an indestructible life. The grave could not hold him. Death could not keep him and contain him. Jesus is saying, as a city, you once were dead and are alive again. So too, 
was I. I was dead and am alive again because of an indestructible life. I understand what you're going through. I know. Comparison number two was that Smyrna was recognized in many ways as a, as a first city. Like I said earlier, it was the crown jewel of, of, of the Caesars of Rome, and they were proud of the city. Outside of the city of Rome itself, it was one of the most celebrated cities in all of the empire. In fact, coins have been excavated over the years. They've been discovered. And on these coins in the city of Smyrna, they're engraved or carved with this. Smyrna, first of Asia in beauty and in size. Smyrna was a first kind of a city. It was first in beauty. It was first in size. It was something that was to be proud of and to be bragged about. And Jesus in this moment, he's saying, I am the first and the last. He's comparing, he's he's saying, I am the first and the last in verse eight. He's comparing himself to this city. He's saying, you may be the first city, but I am the first and the last. I am the alpha and the omega. I am the beginning and I am the end. So I know where you've been. I know where you are. I know where you're going because I have been at each one of those points in history because I am all-knowing and I am infinite. You may be first Smyrna, but I am infinite. This is the God that we serve. This is the Jesus who is addressing these people. And what that tells me is when you're an infinite, all-knowing God, There's not a whole lot that surprises you. There's not a whole lot that catches you off guard. You don't get too worked up over history because you have all of history in your hands. Jesus was there in the beginning and he'll be there in the end when he says, behold, I am coming soon. And whatever our culture determines to be true today, that was a lie yesterday. Or whatever our culture says is a lie today that was true yesterday. Whatever it now celebrates that we once detested, however schizophrenic our society and our world becomes, Christ is still sovereign and supreme. He is still on the throne. He is the first and the last. And he's telling the the Christians at Smyrna, do not forget who I am. No matter what you're going through, I am the first. I am the last. I was dead and I'm alive again. There's a third comparison that Jesus is making early on in this passage of Scripture. See, understand Smyrna was a wealthy, wealthy city because it had exclusive import and export rights to a very valuable um, tree resin called myrrh. Now, many of you have heard of myrrh. You kind of know what it was all about. Maybe you don't know where it came from. We're going to talk about that here in just a moment. But understand that myrrh was an extremely valuable commodity in that region, really in the world at that time. And it brought a lot of tremendous wealth to the city of Smyrna because they were the ones that grew it. They were the ones that exported it. They were the ones that sold it. And it had a lot of usefulness 2,000 years ago in cosmetics, had a lot of usefulness in antiseptics and perfumes, in the embalming process, in incenses, all of these things myrrh was used for. This is where the city Smyrna got its name. Smyrna literally means myrrh, okay? Smyrna right? Like, I just think it's super cool. But here's the interesting thing, that myrrh was a fragrance that gave off a beautiful scent. It was something that was valuable to the people. It's what the wise men brought to Jesus at his birth. It's what the Marys used in the embalming process when Jesus was prepared for burial. It was a scent of significance. But here's the interesting thing. It was only valuable once it was crushed. It had to first be crushed, 
So when the church in Smyrna was crushed, which we're going to talk about in just a few moments, they were crushed by their tribulation. The Christians gave off the fragrance of Christ. It was a beautiful scent of the gospel to a watching world that was decaying and there was a stench of sin in the world. And the beauty of the gospel is that Jesus was crushed for our sins. Isaiah chapter 53, many of you have heard this verse and I'll paraphrase it. It says, it was the will of the Lord to crush him, to crush our savior. Jesus said, I know what it's like to be persecuted. I know what it's like to be cursed. I know what it's like to be crushed under the pressure. I endured that momentary affliction. I took that sin upon the cross. I took the sins of mankind and the history of mankind. And I took that weight on myself when I hung on the cross. If I can endure it, you can endure it too. So don't fear. Crossroads, I would say, you know, as I think about that and how that applies to us, may we be a church that one under the, 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 the crushing weight of suffering. May we be a church that gives off a beautiful fragrance of Jesus Christ amidst the stench of death and the decay of our society. So it's interesting that Jesus talks to the city and compares himself because he was crushed. And this city was being crushed by tribulation, which we're going to talk about. And in this city, they grew this, um, this tree that would give off a sap that would harden on the outside of the tree, that that would harden. And once they would kind of harvest it from the tree, they would crush it and it would give off this beautiful scent. Jesus is a beautiful scent to a dying and decaying society. So the church was not only a commended church, it was also compared to Christ, but it was also, number two, a church committed in tribulation. It was committed in tribulation. Let's look at verses 9 and 10 in Revelation chapter 2 as we go a little bit further. He says this, I know your tribulation and your poverty, but you are rich. And the slander of those who say that they are Jews and are not, but a synagogue of Satan. Do not fear what you are about to suffer. Behold, the devil is about to throw some of you into prison that you may be tested. And for 10 days, you will have tribulation. Now, that word tribulation pops up a couple of times in verses 9 and 10. That word actually comes from the Greek word telipsis, which means pressing or pressure. Now, understand this. There was a form of torture or torment in the ancient world, in the Roman Empire specifically, where, they, where, where, where soldiers would take their victims and they would tie them down on a table and lay them down flat on their back. And what they would do is they would start to, one by one, put plates or rocks of extreme weight on the chest of their victim. And they would add one by one more and more and more and more weight until that victim would confess or recant their faith or until they would succumb under the pressure to suffocation or even be completely crushed. And this is what Jesus is saying. He's giving us this picture. This tribulation is kind of a crushing or a pressure that these Christians were going through. And so there was a weight of tribulation in Smyrna for these Christians, and there were three of them that Jesus addresses directly. And I want to give you what these three pressures were, these crushings were. The first one was the weight of poverty. The weight of poverty was being added to these Christians because of what they were going through. Jesus started in verse 9 by saying, I know your tribulation, your tribulation and your poverty. Now, Jesus was like, I know how poor you are. I see your lack. I'm right here with you. I know. I am aware. And these people were not 
American poor like we are today. Some of you might be like, man, I'm near the poverty level or I'm never going to be as rich as my neighbor. I'm never going to be as rich as my coworker. I'm never going to have as much money as my kids now make. You ever, any of you ever think that? Like you look at how much money your kids make a year and you think, wow, they are going to be rich. I never made that much money in my career. You know, a lot of us, we like to look around and compare ourselves to everyone else around us and say, I'm poor, but we don't understand poverty like the, the, the people in Smyrna did. These people were impoverished totally because of their zealous love for Jesus. And they refused to bend to society's pressure and it came with consequences. Like they had to pay a price because they refused to compromise in their faith in Jesus Christ. Interestingly enough, in Rome, they were a, a progressive people. They were an inclusive people. Right? And so Rome didn't mind if the Christians worshiped Jesus. They didn't mind if you prayed to any random different gods so long as you acknowledge Caesar as Lord of all. And these Christians refused to do that and it cost them. It paid them a price. It cost them and they had to pay a price. They were um, pressured under the weight of poverty. And many of them, man, they were cut out of, they were cut out of uh, trade unions and they were cut out of business transactions and they lost their jobs and they lost their livelihoods and their homes and they were forced to, to scavenge for food in order to survive. In fact, history tells us that these outcasts, these Christians in society, they lived even poorer than the slaves of that day. Many of them were struggling just to get by every day. They were outcasts in society and Smyrna kind of gives us a glimpse of what is to probably come here in America, we see when people stick to traditional values, when they stick to God's word, when they refuse to compromise to culture, this is what's coming. Does any of this sound familiar? Because what happened in Smyrna, what happened throughout the Roman Empire is exactly what's starting to happen. We feel it and we see examples of it all around us. You know, our culture says today, man, you can follow Jesus. Just don't be one of those fanatical, born-again Christians that preaches Jesus and preaches sin and repentance and, and Jesus being the only way and the only truth and the only life. Man, if your religion culture says, if your religion gets in the way of our progress or popular opinion, then the gloves are off and you will be canceled. You will pay a price. This is what's happening today. It's what happened 2,000 years ago in Smyrna. These people were pressed under the weight of, of poverty, but they were also pressed under the weight of slander. That's the second bullet point under number two. They were pressed under the weight of slander. Look further on in verse nine, after it says that Jesus says you are rich, he reminds them, you think you're poor, but you are actually rich. You are rich in Christ. You are rich in faith. You are rich in grace. You are rich in mercy. You are rich in fellowship. You are rich in wisdom and in knowledge. All of these things that we may lack the, the wealth and uh, man, all of the uh, man, amazing things that this world has to offer to rich people, we may lack those things, but we are still rich. But even further, they were being slandered. They were being crushed under the weight of slander. The Christians were hated on every side because they wouldn't simply play along to the cultural norms. The, the Romans hated them because they wouldn't... Uh, they wouldn't profess allegiance to Caesar alone. And the Jews hated them because 
they were kind of messing up their whole agreement and their whole structure that they had with the Romans. Now understand the Jews during that day, they had kind of a, a fragile agreement with Rome. And the Christians, because many of them were coming, they were Jews that came out of the Jewish religion and um, converting to Christ, they were kind of closely tied together at this time. There wasn't like clear distinctions yet between Jews and Christians. And the Jews had like an exemption in Rome, if you will. Everyone else had to profess Caesar as Lord of all, except for the Jews. They had an exemption because they believed that God was the Lord of all, that um, Adonai was the God of all. And so the, the Romans, in order to kind of keep peace with the Jews, had this fragile agreement like, hey, everybody else has to do this, but you don't. And then the Christians come along and they're not playing along well. And it threatened the Jews' way of life and the agreements that they had, the, 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 the agreements that they had with Rome. And so the Jews hated them, so they would start to slander. In partnership with the pagans, they would make accusations against the Christians. They would say, These Christians are they're they're having orgies in their worship services. And the Christians that that um, man refuse to play along with the rest of us, they're cannibals. Because they talk about eating the flesh of Jesus and drinking the blood of Jesus when they take communion. These Christians, because they refer to one another as brother and sister, they don't, they don't value the traditional family like we do throughout the Roman Empire. So they would, uh, they would just kind of slander the name of the Christians in that day, and it marginalized them even further, and the Christians became even more despised by the world. So they were being crushed under the weight of slander. They were also being pressed under the weight of imprisonment and death. That's the next blank, the weight of imprisonment and death. Look at verse 10 again, where Jesus says, Do not fear what you are about to suffer. Behold, the devil is about to throw some of you into prison, that you may be tested, and for 10 days you will have tribulation. The immediate future for this church was not a bright one, folks. Like Jesus was preparing them for what was ahead. They had already been through difficult times. They had already been through tribulation. And he said, listen, it's about to get worse. The world is about to despise you even more. And the pressure is going to, you know, get even thicker. It's going to get even more difficult. Jesus was warning them of suffering that was to come. Some of them would be thrown into prison. Some of them would be taken captive. Others of them would be martyred and killed for their faith. And Jesus tells us and he reminds us that the way the gospel advances throughout history is through death. And we don't like to hear that today because that sounds really extreme. But John chapter 12, Jesus talked about this very thing in John chapter 12. He said very specifically in verse 24, he said, truly, truly, I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. Whoever loves his life loses it, and whoever hates his life in this world will keep it for eternal life. If anyone serves me, he must follow me. If you love me, if you want to serve me, you've got to follow me into this. Death is a part of following Jesus. Persecution, tribulation, it's all a part of following Jesus. And we won't go deep into the story, but many of you have probably heard of the historical figure uh, named Polycarp. Polycarp was a disciple of John who wrote this letter to the church in Smyrna. He was one of John's disciples, disciples, and in AD 155, he actually became the pastor or the bishop of this church in Smyrna. And what we ultimately know about history is that Polycarp was one of the first 
martyrs for Jesus Christ outside of the canon of Scripture, outside of maybe Stephen and other, other Christians that were written about in the Bible, he was one of the first that gave his life up for Jesus Christ. And he was from the city of Smyrna. He pastored this very church. And when the guards came to arrest Polycarp, where he was hiding out, they begged him to recant. They begged him to, yeah, you can still worship Jesus. Just recognize Caesar as Lord of all. Just turn from Jesus and worship Caesar. And Polycarp said to his captors, he said this, I've served my master 80 and six years, and he has done me no wrong. How can I blaspheme my king who saved me? You threaten me with the fire that burns for a time, which is quickly quenched. For you do not know the fire which awaits the wicked and the judgment to come and even everlasting punishment. Why are you waiting? Come do what you will. History tells us that they tied him down to a stake and they lit a fire around him. The pagans and the Jews, all included, were anxious to actually do this. They were eager to burn Polycarp at the stake. And he gave his life. History says, legend says that the fires raged around him, but because of the trade winds that came off of, off of the coast, actually blew the flames away from Polycarp. And it wasn't until someone stabbed him through with a knife that he gave his life for his king. It's because of people like Polycarp. It's because of Christians in Smyrna in Revelation chapter 2 that endured through hardship, through tribulation, that we have the gospel today. These people died so that the gospel would go forth. The seed of the gospel would come to us and bear much fruit. Folks, we carry this on. We carry this same responsibility on. There was a church father, his name was Tertullian. He said this in AD 197. He said, the blood of the martyrs is the seed of the church. We should expect tribulation. We should expect difficulty. And I know it's likely that none of us will give our life for Jesus. It's even likely, it's, it's very likely as well that none of us will be asked to shed our blood for the sake of the gospel. But tribulation will come. Jesus promised that it would. And maybe it's already arrived at your doorstep. The question is, will you hold fast to your confession of faith? When those tough times come, when struggles come, when persecution comes, when suffering arrives, will you hold fast to Jesus? Because of the tribulations that were to come for Smyrna and the Christians there, they were also, number three, they were a church challenged to endure. Jesus challenged them to endure in verse 10, the second half. He said this, he said, be faithful unto death and I will give you the crown of life. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. The one who conquers will not be hurt by the second death. Scripture never tells us, never said to the people in Smyrna, he never said, be faithful unto success. He never said, be faithful unto the world's applause. He never exhorted them, be faithful unto society's acceptance. Now, there's a chance that some of us may be rewarded with success and acceptance and applause, even as we stay faithful to Jesus Christ. That is a possibility. But that's not really the picture that Jesus was painting for these people as they were moving toward more and more paganism, as they were moving toward more and more difficulty. And so I think that's a picture that he's painting for us today as well. That difficult times are going to come. We must endure. Jesus is saying, some of you are about to be tested. 
You're going to be thrown in prison, and for 10 days, you're going to have tribulation. Now, 10 days is kind of a metaphor for a short season or a brief, specific amount of time, but it's, it's temporary. Jesus tells them, be faithful in this temporary season, even if it leads to death. And I think that this is the potential outcome that every Christian needs to come to terms with. That this may be what is in store for us. He never promised, Jesus never promised us abundance. He never promised us favor with society. He never promised us a life of ease. In fact, he said the very opposite. That challenges are going to come. Tribulation is going to come. And there's a potential for imprisonment. There's a potential for death. There's a potential for all of these things. And the question for us this morning is, will we persevere under the pressure? Will we be a church that is faithful in tribulation? James chapter 1. I want to read just a couple more verses to you. James chapter 1, actually verse 12, just one verse. It says this, Blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trial. For when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life, which God promised to those who love him. Folks, this morning, let this be a reminder as we look at this church in Smyrna, let this be a reminder that if we will persevere, if we will endure until the very end, there is a prize that awaits us. There is a compensation that Jesus wants to reward us with. If we will stand firm, if we will stay faithful, if we will be steadfast and abide in him, There is a crown of life that awaits us. There is an eternal reward that we can look forward to. Yes, yes, death may touch us. Yes, death may hurt us. But there is a second death that can never touch us. It can never overcome us. It can never overwhelm us if we will persevere until the very end. And so Crossroads, as a church this morning, will we be remarkable in this way like the people in Smyrna were? Will we be faithful to Jesus Christ when difficult times come? When painful situations arise, when we are hurt by the culture, when we are hurt by the trials and the troubles, may we be a church that is purified through persecution. You know, A.W. Tozer, he once wrote this. He said, before God can use a man greatly, he has to hurt him deeply. I think that for some of us, that's a reality that we have to wrap our minds around, that we may have to be hurt in order for God to use us. But he wants to use us greatly. And he used these people in Smyrna, and they were a commended people because of their perseverance, because they abided in Christ no matter what. So Crossroads, may we be that church that abides in Jesus no matter what, even when we're crushed. And when we are crushed, just like that myrrh that we talked about, we will become a beautiful fragrance to the world that is watching, to the world that is looking, to the world that needs an answer of hope. And that hope is Jesus Christ.